At 16 years old, Sasha decided she wanted to try and make a little bit of extra money in her spare time. And she thought she'd lucked out when she got a message on Facebook offering her a job working at a nearby hotel in Blackpool as a cleaner. Now, initially, Sasha's mum and dad were a little bit hesitant to let her go. She'd been through quite a turbulent time in her life through her teenage years, but she was finally starting to settle down and she'd started to focus on her future. And so both her mum and dad said that she could go, but there was one condition. And that condition was that her dad would take her there and pick her up after her first shift to ensure that she was safe. But it wasn't that first shift that they needed to be concerned about. It was the second shift, after they had assumed that Sasha would be safe, that she would suffer a brutal fate. And the perpetrator had practiced what he was going to do just three weeks before. So he knew exactly what he needed to do to make sure that Sasha would never escape. This is Red Rum, stories about the true victims of crime. So this week's episode, we have got a very special guest joining us all the way from the brilliant podcast UK True Crime, Adam. I have been listening to your show for a a couple of years now and you really are the OG of creating brilliant UK crimes since I think 2016, is that what we said earlier? Yeah, it is. Well, first of all, it's great to be here, Grace. Thank you so much for inviting me. Uh, I love your show too and I'm really looking forward to today. Brilliant, brilliant. Well, thanks so much for being here. Um, I am obviously a big fan of your your show. And one of the things that I really love is your guess the time, guess the year of when this this was this crime happened. And so before we started recording today, I asked Adam to uh, I gave him the year of the crime and I just asked him to do for our listeners what he usually does on his show. And he's going to do a little game of guess the time. Okay, so are you ready? So at number three in the UK charts was Taylor Swift with I Knew You Were Trouble. Are you a Swifty, Grace? A little bit, yeah. In the US top spot was Locked Out of Heaven from Bruno Mars. And Bruno was also top of the Australian album charts with Unorthodox Jukebox. In the news this month, on the Yockey, it was Phil Taylor claiming his 16th and last PDC World Darts Championship title with a 7-4 victory over Dutchman Michael van Gerwen. Now, Grace, is darts a big part of your life? Absolutely not. I know nothing about it. (laughs) (laughs) It always looks great. I watch it on the TV sometimes over Christmas at the the World Championships. It always looks like a great, great, well, very rowdy, but a great night there, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I don't play either. Okay, so this month, four climbers were killed in an avalanche in beautiful Glencoe in Scotland. As you know, I live at the moment in Pilocri in Highland Perthshire, and I've climbed some of the Munros and belong to so many Scottish walking and climbing groups on Facebook. And these hills and mountains, they're beautiful, but they can quickly turn deadly. It's a really dangerous thing for people to do when they're unprepared, I think. OK, so this month saw Lance Armstrong admitting to doping in all seven of his Tour de France victories. And still there are people who see this fraud as a hero. April Casburn a senior detective with the Met Police was found guilty of trying to sell information on the investigation into phone hacking to the News of the World, the newspaper at the centre of the scandal. She would later be jailed for 15 months. And finally, you might recall this one, Tony McCluskey was found guilty of the March 2012 murder of his sister, the actress Gemma McCluskey, and jailed for life with a recommendation that he serve a minimum term of 20 years. So, not for you, Grace, but for the listeners. Did you guess the month and year? 
It was the 31st of January, 2013. Of course it was. Brilliant. Thank you so much. It's so interesting having obviously researched and written this case and having obviously an idea of when it was, but really not putting myself in that time. And I just think that's such a such a brilliant thing to do to really put you in the, the shoes of when that was. It's it's yeah, it's so brilliant. Thank you so much for prepping that. I really appreciate it. No, it's a pleasure. It's all about context, isn't it? We want to make our stories as real as possible for our listeners. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So we're going to start our story a little bit before that. We're going to start at the beginning of Sasha's life and then eventually we'll get we'll get to that time. So hopefully our listeners have got a bit more of a context there and they can really immerse themselves in that. So we're going to go back to when Sasha was eight years old. And Sasha moved with her family from Bolton, near Manchester, to Staining, just outside of Blackpool. And she was the youngest in her family and grew up close to her siblings. But she had began to sort of push away from her mum and dad and she got closer to her school friends. So she started to rebel a little bit. She'd often opt to hang out with her friends rather than spend time at home. Quite normal for a teenager, of course, or for a person entering their teen years. And she and her two close school friends, uh, two girls called Angel and Beth, spent most of their time together and they just loved the way they would later say that Sasha always seemed to bring energy to the group. If anyone was down or upset, she would make sure to cheer them up pretty much instantly. And then in July of 2010, Sasha and one of her friends finished school and they headed to the nearby park. While she was there, a 22-year-old man approached the teenagers and offered them alcohol. At this point, Sasha's only 14 years old, and so it doesn't take too much vodka for her to be passed out on the floor. And after that happened, the man made his intention clear, and he began to attack Sasha. He ended up raping her. Now, during this attack, two women happened to be walking past, and... At this point, it's summer. It's not even 8pm. So there is still light outside and the two women could see exactly what was happening and they ran over to intervene. Thankfully, they did manage to stop the attack and call the police. And the police arrived pretty quickly and arrested that 22-year-old man. The police then brought Sasha and her friend back to the police station where the friend, bless him, he's only young, he said that he just hadn't known what to do. He's a year younger than Sasha at this point. And he said that he was scared and was too little to get the man to stop. Oh yeah, horrible, horrific. Imagine not only that happening to Sasha, but for that that little boy to have to have witnessed that and known that he just couldn't have done anything. And the other thing I, that really I struggle with is, as you say, it's a summer's evening, an early summer's evening in a public place. How can anybody think... What, what I mean, what is he even thinking? It's just, it's just beyond, isn't it? Yeah, it's so, so bizarre. And he's twenty-two. It's not, you know, he's not a teenager like them. So he's obviously seen these two, two teenagers in the park, and then made that decision to go over them. And he's, he's got alcohol with him. So who knows how planned it was? Was he looking for a victim, or was it it's an opportunity? Mm, we see that a lot, don't we? Well, was, I seem to read about it more. These premeditated crimes, these predators going out looking for innocent victims. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think you, I always thought before I started covering true crime, I always thought, you know, most of the crimes were opportunities. And I know a lot of them are. But as you say, read about it so much where someone's planned it or they've thought, well, you know, if 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 the opportunity presents itself, I'm going to be ready. 
Yeah. Oh, scary stuff. Mm. So the police called Sasha's parents who came down to the police station and it was there that they learned the horrific nature of what had happened to their teenage daughter. Now, because the man had been caught pretty much straight away and there were a number of witnesses, of course, he was charged and sent to prison pretty quickly and he got five years and four months for that attack. After that, however, Sasha found that she just wasn't able to go back to life as it was before. Not only was she at that teenager stage of you know, finding life difficult, but she was also being bullied at school. And so she started to skip school to the point where her parents decided to move her to a different school, but Sasha was still struggling and turned to rebelling in different ways to cope. She started drinking alcohol, she started sleeping with different boys and she started self-harming. And as well as that, she'd frequently run away from home. And even though her mum and dad would make it clear how much it worried them, they would go out searching for her for hours and hours. Sasha said that she was fine and she didn't need their help and she would just continue to do this quite often. It wasn't long after that that Sasha met and started dating a man called Danny. And at this point, Sasha's 16 years old and her boyfriend's 18 years old. So although there's not a huge age gap, you know, when you're 16 and 18, that is quite a big age gap in terms of maturity sometimes. Absolutely. I fully agree with you. Yeah, I remember it when I was at school, don't you do as well? A lot of the girls in our year, about 15, 16, were dating 18, 19 year olds. They had cars, they were used to going out. It's a whole different social scene, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think there's something, especially for a sort of 15, 16 year old, as I was when I was that age, there's something so exciting about meeting someone a bit older. But then when you get to that age, you know, you, you'd you never no. date a, a 15 year old or a 16 year old. It's it's so bizarre once you get to that age, but you obviously don't have that view when you're that young. <laughs> That's true. And so her, her parents were trying to keep tabs on Sasha, but she was strong-willed. And so in an attempt to stop her from running away, they tell her that they were there for whatever she needed. They want to keep an eye on her. They want to know where she is at all times. But as had become the norm with Sasha by this point, she started pulling away and she just stopped telling them where she was going. And then on the 31st of August, 2012... Sasha's parents became worried because she just didn't come home one night. Now, they'd agreed with her prior to this that they would pick her up from wherever she was going out that day. But Sasha never showed up and they knew something was up. And so after trying to call her mobile again and again and it eventually being switched off, they decided they had no choice but to report her as missing to the police. And then two days after that, Sasha called home And she told her parents that she had chosen to run away with her boyfriend, Danny, and she was in Suffolk. Suffolk is over five hours away from where she was living in Blackpool. So obviously this is extremely worrying for her parents. And she told them she wasn't coming home, but she just wanted them to know that she was fine. And at this point, Sasha's parents weren't only sick with worry, but they were concerned that they could lose their daughter forever. They knew how much Danny meant to her. They knew how strong-willed she was. And so they said that if she moved back home, she could bring Danny with her, anything to get her home safe. And so Sasha agreed to move back, which I think is such a... It's quite a brave thing to do to say that your daughter can move in with her older boyfriend. But I guess at this point they felt they had no choice and that was the best thing to do. Uh, it's really difficult. Um, so so I've got um, teenage, young teenage children and we have that conversation all the time. What do we do about their boyfriends? 
girlfriends. I suppose they'd rather be at home where you know they're safe, wouldn't you, than being elsewhere. It's really difficult, especially for Sasha's parents. What an impossible situation they were in. Yeah, absolutely. And I think something that I learned through researching this more and more was that uh, Sasha's mum and dad had a really strong bond and they were really together throughout all of that so I think whatever they decided you know as you say it's difficult to know which decision to make but they clearly had thought about that and they decided this was the only way to get her home safe. Mm -hmm. So once she was home it was clear to Sasha how much she had worried and upset not just her family but also her friends and that friend that I mentioned earlier Angel later said that Sasha said that she'd regretted running away because she knew how much it had hurt those that cared about her the most. Just a few weeks after that Sasha started a course at the local college to help equip her for a career in working with children and on top of that, she decided she wanted a little bit more independence, you know, as, as we all do at that age. So in January of 2013, she told her mum and dad that a friend of a friend had got her a job. And it was a job interview at this point, and it was to be a cleaner in a nearby hotel. She reassured her mum that it was going to work around her college hours, and it would give her this little bit of spending money so she wouldn't have to ask them for money all of the time. And eventually her mum and dad did agree that she could go on the condition that her dad would drive her there and pick her up. So this is sort of where we started at the beginning of the story in the intro. So her trial shift was on the Monday and when that day came, Sasha and her dad headed to Blackpool. Because Sasha didn't have the exact address of the hotel, the manager David had agreed to meet her on the street just outside. Sasha's dad pulled up and dropped her off And around 90 minutes later, he picked her up from the same place and she was fine. In fact, she was beaming. She'd made a couple of beds, but she'd not really had to do much cleaning. And she said they basically just talked and had a cup of tea. And then he'd given her a tenner and said the job was hers. I remember at that age, I had my first job at 16 and my minimum wage was like £3 something. So being given a tenner would have been so, so good. (laughs) What was your first job? I was a waitress at um, a pub and restaurant, but I obviously couldn't do any of the pub stuff because I was only 16, so just restauranting. <laughs> I, uh, I cleaned cars um, for my first job when I was about 14, 15 as well. Tough job, real tough job. Bloody hell, yeah, because you can't get to the top of the car when you're that short, when you're 14, surely. <laughs> <laughs> that is just, I remember being outside in the cold, it's a tough job, like waitressing. So, But like any sort of cleaning job, is it's really hard physical graft, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And I think that it's really clear that Sasha wasn't scared of hard physical grass. She was willing to clean a hotel. Even now, I think when I stay in a hotel, I'm like, bloody hell, you have to obviously change 50 beds a day. I hate changing my own Mm. bed, so I wouldn't want to do that. And she's at 16, (laughs) probably a lot smaller than we are, but she's able to do that. And she's really willing to do that, which I think is such a, a brilliant indication of her character as well. Yeah, absolutely right. Yeah. Okay, so she's enjoying it, she's got the job, then what happens? So the details of the job were basically that she'd be working Mondays and Thursdays because that's all the manager needed her for. And so her first proper day was going to be after college on the Thursday. And so Sasha headed into college as usual and when all of her classes had finished, her dad picked her up and he took her back to the same area of Blackpool with the agreement that when she was finished, she'd text her dad and ask to be picked up. But... As the hours ticked by, neither her mum or her dad got any texts or calls from her. And Sasha's dad texted her, got no response. He tried to call her, but her phone didn't ring. It went straight to answer phone. 
this of course was a bit worrying but it wasn't too worrying because her mum and dad knew that she'd planned to come back to the house to get ready for a party that she was going to with her boyfriend Danny which was obviously very exciting she's at this point she's obsessed with her boyfriend he's moved in they're in a very happy place and so they knew that she wouldn't miss this but by the time 8:30 came and went and with no sign of Sasha all of her family at this point were starting to become worried now unfortunately Sasha's dad had never actually seen which hotel she'd gone into the area that he dropped her off at was a very touristy bit of Blackpool and there were almost 100 hotels in that area alone. So tracking down the exact hotel Sasha was working at was going to be tricky. But her mum, who I've watched a few interviews with, she seems like she's just such a brilliant person and in this point she saw a crisis and she came up with a plan. So Sasha's boyfriend Danny was still living with them and he'd been waiting at home to wait for her to get back. So her mum went upstairs, got her laptop and asked Danny to help. She asked if he knew Sasha's Facebook password and he said, yeah, that he did. And so she managed to log on to Sasha's Facebook account and found the person she'd been speaking to about the job. His name was David, which lines up with the manager being called David. And on his profile was the name and the address listed of the Grafton Hotel in Blackpool. Sasha's dad called the hotel's number, but there was no answer. And so they got into the car and they made their way over there. But when they arrived, the manager, David, told them that Sasha wasn't there. She had been there earlier, but he said that she left, quote, ages ago and that she'd gone to meet her dad at Madame Tussauds. Now, this in itself was extremely worrying for everyone because they knew that she hadn't arranged to meet her dad and there's no way she'd just not get in contact with her boyfriend, Danny, and just completely ditch their plans so as you can imagine at this point their brains are going at a million miles an hour and they're just they're just not really sure where she could be at so they began calling round at both Sasha and Danny's friend's house but they had no luck Um, they also went to different hospitals to see if she'd been admitted but she wasn't there and after they'd exhausted all the known spots and the people that she'd usually be with that was then when they decided to call the police and that was around 11 p.m that night and so they reported her as missing Now, if we just go back a couple of hours, so at 9pm on that same evening, down a small alleyway on a residential street in Blackpool, just behind that hotel that Sasha had been working at, residents began to become concerned when they became aware of a large fire raging away. One of the spectators of the raging fire was the hotel manager, David. And as that fire burned on, one of the residents went out with a bucket of water and attempted to put the fire out. They did manage to do that, but as the flames subsided, they realised that the fire was, as you can probably imagine, it was concealing a horrific crime. And that's where they found the dead body of a young woman. The police were soon made aware of the missing persons report made by Sasha's parents and they knew that there was obviously a possibility that the body that had been found belonged to Sasha. So they headed round to take details about things like her appearance, what she was last wearing, where her usual hangouts were. But whilst they were there at Sasha's mum and dad's house, one of the officers got a message and excused himself from the room. He went outside and he returned a few minutes later And this time he had something to say. 
He told them that a body had been found and based on the information that he'd just been given, he did believe that it was Sasha. Obviously, her body has been, or the body that they found has been completely burned. And so doing a sort of formal identification through the normal ways just wouldn't be possible. So at this point, they took her toothbrush and they conducted a DNA tests and the remains in the alleyway were found to be a match to Sasha. The officers went to visit David at the hotel and they brought him in for questioning and they soon learned that David Minto wasn't the manager of the hotel at all. In fact, his girlfriend and her mum were the people who ran the hotel. David was working there as a handyman. So he was a man who worked there during the day sometimes and he occasionally hung out with his girlfriend, but he didn't really have any friends. Even his relationship with his girlfriend, he'd met her online and if he wasn't with her, then he tended to spend most of his time alone. So David's girlfriend said that she hadn't been at the hotel during that afternoon and evening, but she'd arrived back at around 9pm and she ran into David in the hallway doing some cleaning and at that point he said that he'd had a nosebleed so he was getting rid of that blood. But David's girlfriend also said that she had no idea that Sasha had even been working at the hotel. She'd never seen her. David hadn't mentioned anything about bringing anyone else into the hotel to clean. And unfortunately, there were no witnesses that police could identify at that time because, you know, it's winter. We're in January at this point. And on top of that, the hotel was actually under renovation. So no one was around to give eyewitness accounts of ever having seen Sasha or even identifying any aspects that could help them but it would turn out that they wouldn't actually need anyone else to figure out what had happened they found two text messages in Sasha's drafts one of them was to her dad saying pick me up at Madame Two Swords but that wasn't where they had arranged to meet so that in itself was suspicious and then the second message was to her boyfriend Danny and it said I love you tell dad to pick me up from Madame Two Swords so suspicious for the same reasons David's statement was that on the night that Sasha had come round to the hotel, she had made a move on him and they'd had some kind of, and I'm quoting here, sexual contact. And immediately after that, Sasha had had a nosebleed and then she just left. David swore that Sasha left soon after that and, and he just hadn't seen her since. Obviously very questionable um, story he's going with there. The autopsy eventually came back and it revealed that Sasha had suffered at least nine defensive wounds to her hands and arms, showing she put up a real fight against the perpetrator. And she'd also suffered 56 stab wounds to her head and the back of her neck. She was also sexually assaulted, although the medical examiner couldn't determine whether this was while she was still alive or post-mortem. There was no real doubt in the investigators' minds that David had committed the brutal murder, but they still needed to prove it. They didn't have a hard time doing this, however, because of that evidence that they found at the hotel. There was a huge amount of blood in the hotel, far more than would have been possible from just a nosebleed. And on top of that, they found more blood on David's clothes. And when they were searching other areas of the hotel, they came across some of Sasha's jewellery that David had presumably attempted to flush down the toilet. David was charged with Sasha's murder, but pleaded not guilty, and so the case went to trial. And David was actually called to testify at trial, and this time 
his story changed. He repeated this ridiculous version of events that he and Sasha had had some kind of sexual contact before then going on to say that she just left the hotel, he went back upstairs and he started to clean. He said that while he was cleaning and just a few minutes after Sasha had headed outside, he heard a loud bang downstairs. And when he went to investigate, he said he just found Sasha lying on the floor, seemingly unconscious. He said he didn't know what to do, so he just took her body to the bathroom and washed her. Then he says he wrapped her body up, dragged her outside and just left her there. He said he never set her body on fire. Now, I'm not sure if he's admitting to all of this other stuff why he wouldn't admit to that that last part of setting her body on fire, but he refused to do that. It came to light that the only reason David had told Sasha to come on Mondays and Thursdays was because he knew his girlfriend would be working a different job on those days and so wouldn't be back at the hotel until later. The prosecution presented the case, giving the added timeline that Sasha had been killed somewhere between 4 and 5pm. And after that, David had moved her body to the bath, he'd washed her and then attempted to clean up the crime scene. It came to light that after David's girlfriend had arrived home to the hotel, he told her about what he said was a mannequin that he'd just found outside the back of the hotel. His girlfriend did then come outside to look, but she said it didn't look like a mannequin. And in fact, she was the person who initially called the police to report this potential body. The prosecutor's key witness was a young woman who had been lured to the hotel under the same guise and David had attempted to attack her. Now, this young woman did know who David was before coming round to the hotel, but this didn't stop him. Thankfully, she was able to escape and when she told the court about the date that this had happened, it was revealed that this attack happened just three weeks before Sasha's murder and likely was in preparation and gave him exactly the tools he needed to be able to kill Sasha. There was ample evidence against David and he was found guilty of murder and he was sentenced to life in prison with a minimum of 35 years. There's two things that stand out for me, Grace. One, the level of the attack. I I think it's a lot. Um, She must have been so terrified at what was happening to her. That's the first thing. And secondly, with the rape as well, two people that were carrying out premeditated attacks and she happened to be the victim on both occasions. It's it's just beyond, it's unlucky, it's wrong. Everything about it's wrong, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, often in researching these cases there's so much detail and I I often have to take a step back and try and desensitize myself from the as you say how terrified she must have been as soon as you think about that and the fact you know it's this grown man who she's trusted she's come into his space she's come into what she think is thinks is a professional working environment and then she's been completely taken advantage of and had her life taken away from her and I think what is just so sad she really seemed to have started to to shift her life around and had gotten out of that you know that stage that we all go through or most of us go through as teenagers of rebelling against your parents and 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 sort of going a little bit off the rails but she really seemed to have settled down she was at college and she just wanted to earn a little bit of extra money so she didn't have to ask her mum and dad for money and as a result of that a a really responsible behavior this man took advantage of that and and yeah I can't imagine how scary that must have been and 
it's, it's, it's for me often it's the planning that goes into it as well he as soon as he met Sasha he knew didn't he he must have known she was the one how can you think like that it's just it's beyond most of our comprehensions right yeah exactly and I think the fact that he had this sort of practice run three weeks before I think then there must have been so much premeditation and planning in choosing Sasha in messaging her on Facebook in asking her to meet not at the hotel but outside the hotel and then even going through that first time that they met of talking her through what her responsibilities would be paying her that 10 pounds letting her go and then knowing that she's going to come back on Thursday and knowing that he's going to do this it you're right it just it's completely it's so difficult to understand people often ask me what's the case that stays with you the most and I would say the latest case because it is every case we cover is horrendous and the other thing this has made me realize is that the police get lots and lots of criticism and for some of the police, justifiable. But for the vast, vast, vast majority of the police and the other emergency services, the things that they see every day, the things that they go through, the trauma they face, it's, it, they're just doing an incredible job, I think. Absolutely incredible to actually do this on a daily basis. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. And I think, you know, we can criticise every element of humanity and and rightly so in some cases, as you say. But I do think... There are people out there doing good and trying their very, very best to to make the world a safer place. Not just people in um, in the police, but or in even authority positions. But you know, people day to day, you and I, our friends, our family. And I just think of focusing after that on like who, how did this case get solved so quickly? How, who was? Sasha's mum and dad were so on it in reporting her missing the police were so on it on coming round on investigating that crime on arresting David that night and I think that's some of the really good police work and incredible parenting that it's just useful to look to to have a little bit of you know hope for the future and know that there are there are amazing people out there let me tell you something really positive so here in Scotland last weekend we had loads of floods massive floods it was really bad my wife and my daughter were in Pitlochry, we lived by the water and the water was rising. It broke in its banks and it was getting dark and her, she got a puncture. Her, her front tyre just exploded. And some guy just happened to be walking there, didn't know her, nothing at all, got on his knees with the water swirling around the car near enough and changed her tyre, didn't even didn't give his name, nothing at all, and just said, look, I'd want someone to do the same to help my daughter in a similar situation. And so of all these bad things that we hear about, most people... They're just nice and they do the right thing all the time, don't they? Yeah, yeah. That's such a lovely story. I, I forget about that as well. And then it happens to you. Someone helps you out and it really reminds you of that. And you're in pit lockery, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, we're in pit lockery for another week yet. So we moved next week. So, uh, But this, this guy just didn't have to do that. Could have carried on walking by, saw somebody in trouble and helped. And it's even small things, isn't it? I don't know about you. Often if I'm at the post office, I might say, not in a creepy way, I hasten to add. I might say to someone, oh, your hair looks nice or I like your glasses or something like that. I just try and occasionally just try and say something nice to people, you know. It's, it doesn't take much out of our day. And when people do it to us, it means a lot, doesn't it? Really makes your day, doesn't it? You're right. It doesn't take anything out of your day to say it. But to that other person, certainly when I receive any kind of, you know, lovely comment, nice comment, I just feel so, so <laughs> yeah. brilliant for the, for the whole... I do. We're very shallow, I think, Grace, aren't we? <laughs> take any compliment we can get <laughs> oh brilliant oh well, thank you so much for joining adam i really really appreciate it it's been i i don't usually do 
collaborations I've done a couple in the past but the podcast is me telling a story and it's so lovely to have someone to bounce off of and these questions in these comments that I have never even thought of and it really gets you thinking and deeper into the case so I really appreciate you being here thank you it's been a pleasure and I hope we can do it again very soon Grace Stick around just a few more seconds to the end of the episode to hear a trailer for the brilliant podcast. Excuse me, that's illegal. You will not be disappointed. It is weird. It is wonderful. Enjoy. Oh, hey there. You like true crime stories, right? Yeah, yeah, I know. Who doesn't? But I got to admit, after a while, all those stories of murder and heartache, well, they tend to go straight to my hips. So that's why I, Leroy Luna, have created a podcast called Excuse Me, That's Illegal, where we'll take a hardcore look at some softcore crimes. No TED Talks on Bundy here. The letters BTK won't be coming from these lips. Unless he had a brother that used to steal library books. Suppose I'd be willing to go balls deep into that one if that were the case. Anyways, you'll hear stories such as The Mad Pooper, a female jogger who wreaked havoc in a Colorado Springs neighborhood, using one family's front yard as her own personal dumping grounds. If this kind of content sounds like it's up your alley, excuse me, that's illegal. It's available right now on all your favorite podcatchers. So come join me. I'll be right here waiting for you.